Matthew chapter 6 as we continue through Jesus' teaching here. I'm going to read and we'll just pray. We're going to pick up in verse 9. And it says this. Jesus teaching. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Church, let's, let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this time you give us. God, we thank you for the truths that we hold so dear. God, I just pray that you open our hearts and minds to what it is you have for us. God, let us hear from you. God, let us see what it is you have. Lord, just humble us underneath your truth. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. So church, as we read that, I know that seems very familiar. You know, it's a, it's a prayer, it's, a, it's a, um, something in church history and in religion and things that we've gotten very comfortable with. You know, what's funny is that it's, it's one of those things that for a lot of us, even for non-believers, they've learned this, right? Because it's, it's a part of, because, especially because we live in a Christian culture, it's been implemented in a lot of different things in a lot of different areas that if someone doesn't know how to pray or what to pray, this is what they pray. Now, does it make it wrong? Absolutely not, because what we're going to see this morning is the spiritual weight that these words carry. And to recite these words holds so much more weight than sometimes we acknowledge or see. But also, kind of carrying on, remember last week we started a conversation about what true worship looks like. And last week we talked about our motivation. And so every week after that kind of builds off of the initial week about motivation. So as we move into this week and we talk about kind of if we had to label it prayer, but what I want to even more so focus on is the idea that true prayer is worship. True prayer is worship. It is true spiritual worship. And so what we need to see here is that prayer or our worship is not just us telling God something that he doesn't know, but it's us lining ourselves up with his will and becoming mindful of who he is and what he does. So that is what prayer is. That is what prayer does, is it lines us up with the will of God and it helps us to remember and be reminded about who God is and what God does. And so as we enter into a, a, a mindset of this, as we're praying, as we're seeking after the Holy God, as He's teaching His people, and remember we talked about a lot of things, and this week we're kind of moving in the last th these, these three weeks, last week, this week, and next week are kind of about worship. You know, this is how we engage with the Holy God, and so He's given instruction on how we navigate this space. And so when we speak about the Lord's Prayer, you know, we need to say this, you know, is it the only thing that we should pray? You know, should we just recite this prayer? And the answer is no. You know, it, 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 this doesn't need to be or have to be the only thing that we pray. But is it the only way we should pray in worship? Yes. 
And so that seems confusing, but I want us to hear it. Is this the only thing we should pray? No, but is it the only way we should pray? Yes. Is it the only way we should pray and worship? Yes. And, and the thing that we didn't know, like we said in the beginning, because of the exposure and saturation that we have to Christian culture and Christian conversation and prayers and different things like that, we know these words, right? Even if you hadn't been in church in a long time or don't know anything, you know, haven't been around church, like you've probably heard these words. You've heard them recited. You've heard them prayed. I mean, I grew up and this was this was a foundational prayer that I learned. And, and I, I have said this prayer more times than I can count throughout the, the, the history of my life and religion. And and. It's very easy for anything. And so it's not a shot at where I came from, but it's very easy for anything that we do in Christ or for Christ or in our Christian walk that becomes uh, just a process, right? Just something that we, we proclaim or we recite or we announce. And that's not only limited to certain aspects of Christianity. That's across the board. It can become that. When our motivations stop becoming who Christ is and His truths and the beauty of what He does... And it becomes just the, like we talked about last week, this, just the religious work of our day to day, then it loses its power, right? I mean, for us to recite any prayer, to worship at all mindlessly, or to recite it, or, 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 to, or to just do it as part of our day to day routine, church, it's like waving around a gun with no ammunition. It looks effective, but it carries no functionality other than perception. And so, as Jesus is teaching on this prayer, he's trying to bring to mind, bring to focus for them specifics about how to worship. And so when I say worship, I'm, I'm putting worship and prayer together because prayer is worship. And so when he says this, when he begins to go into this, he breaks this up into two sections with each section having three parts. I love how specific Jesus gets here. Because he wants to make it where anybody can do it. And that's what I love about it. That, that Jesus is not creating this exclusive engagement with God. He's saying, no, this is what you do. And this is how you navigate it. And not only that he, he specifies or he lays out the way that you engage with God in this matter of worship... But even the, the order at which he arranged things, I think is something that for us as Christians and even myself working in church and being around church people and how church people do stuff and present stuff, that even in religion we can get it wrong sometimes in the way that we encourage and invite, in the way that we engage, in the way that we teach who Jesus is and how Jesus deals with his people and how Jesus calls us to himself. And so... I want us to, we're basically just going to walk through this. And, and I want us to see the, the, the two sections of what Jesus is speaking of and the three parts that are contained in each section. The first section are three parts that are focused on God. And then the last three parts are focused on our needs. On our needs. And so we see that here in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. What does Jesus say? He has just said, and we didn't spend a lot of time on this section because it kind of overlapped a little bit with last week, but what Jesus has just done, like he did with service, he kind of took a moment and he said, this is how you shouldn't pray. And so the cool thing about God is that when God invites us into the true matter of worship and prayer, he's not only going to tell us what we shouldn't be doing, but he's going to lay before us what we should be doing. He says, this is how you shouldn't pray. 
You know, he talks about praying on the street corners and doing all this stuff, being a hypocrite, trying to be seen by everybody. And we talked about all that last week. And then he moves into this portion where he says, pray then like this. That's the beautiful thing about God and the way that Christ engages with people who are broken and people like us who are in desperate need of direction and guidance. Jesus leans in and he says, like this. Like that's the God that we serve. The God that we serve that doesn't just lay out these expectations for us and say, hey, good luck. Hey, I hope you can figure it out. I hope you can navigate life on your own. I hope that you can figure out the way to do the things that you should be doing and be the people that you should be. No, Jesus in this moment, God incarnate in the flesh, leans into the lives of broken, sinful man. And he says, hey, do it like this. A beautiful instruction for Jesus on being very specific. He shows us. He doesn't leave it to us for our question or interpretation. He spent the previous section discussing how not to pray in the prayers of pride and acknowledgement of self. And then he says, pray then like this. And I love how Jesus starts this prayer. And this isn't always the way that we present Jesus when we talk to people about Him or how we present God and how God engages with His people. What is the first element of worship that Jesus says? He says, our Father in heaven. Listen, and, and even for me, years and years and years and years of praying this prayer had not truly understood the weight of how Jesus starts this prayer. Our Father. He immediately goes to the relational aspect of man in creation. And not just creation, creator to creation, but a familial relationship. That God is your Father. That God, and when we speak of Father in the translation, the, the, the different phrases at which could be carried with the weight of this, Father is founder of a family or a tribe, a creator, the closest bond of love, leadership, provision, and discipline. He says, pray then like this. I'm, I'm, Jesus is giving us the right to pray and engage with God in a manner that says, our Father, that creator of the universe, that made all things, that is all-powerful, that is all-knowing, that really doesn't need anything from us, that doesn't owe us anything, is our Father, our leader, our provider, our, 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 our discipline, our founder, the strongest, closest bond of love that we could have. And this is why in Matthew 23, Jesus says, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. It's the true nature of fatherly love is in God. And he's here for you. And it, what it does is whenever he tells them that you pray then like this, our father in heaven, he's allowing them to apply sonship and daughtership to themselves as followers. And what does that do? It gives a sense of what? Belonging. Belonging to the family of God, that God is your Father, that there is a place at His table, that He has invited you into His fold to be shepherded by Him, to be led by Him, to be disciplined by Him, to be loved and provided for by Him. And so not only does it give a sense of belonging 
to the eternal God of the universe, our Father. But it also brings a focus to a relational aspect of our communal love, right? Because what does he say? He doesn't say my Father. He doesn't say your Father. He says our Father. Our Father. And not only that, the fact that Jesus is saying this, inviting us in to that close-knit relationship with Him, but even in the sense of each other. The beautiful community that God has given us to stand together this morning when we're singing these songs, when we're praying, when we're reading from His Word, we're acknowledging our Father. This God of the universe that leaned down exactly where we are into the mess, into the brokenness of each and every one of our lives. Listen, we all come in here with our own mess, with our own sin, with our own struggles, with our own past, with our own present, and with our own future to come. And that God creator of the universe, it's not just mine. It's ours. Ours as believers in Jesus Christ. When we are in Christ, we have the freedom and right to acknowledge that He is our collective Father and that we have this community of believers, this this faith family that we lean towards, that we depend on, that we have confidence in. And that's a beautiful thing to navigate a broken world with as a family. He says, our Father. This prayer is social. He says, this is our prayer. This is our acknowledgement. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. And what does it say? Continuing on in verse 9, he says, Hallowed be your name. So this word hallowed, it means holy, consecrated, pure, set apart, and sacred. He is not only our Father. And so this is where, and we'll talk about this a little bit at the end, but this is where we have to be careful. Because He is our Father. Our loving Father, Creator of the universe. But God is holy. God is not like us. God does not get angry like we do. God does not get jealous like we do. God does not get disappointed like we do. God is not as we are. God is holy. And that's great news for us. Because if God was anything like us, if we humanize God too much, that God is too emotional, that God is too loving, that God is too angry, that God is too whatever it is that we could be, then God stops being God, right? He stops being so glorious. He stops being so mighty. He stops being so omnipotent and omnipresent. He becomes too much like us. And this is the desire that we have sometimes, is that as human beings, especially in the progressive church, we want to humanize Jesus so much. We want to humanize God so much that he's just like us. But he's not. He's not like us. And that's good news for us. Because if God was anything like us, God would have given up on us long ago. If God was anything like us, He doesn't owe us anything. But He's not like us. God is the creator of the universe above all the mess that we carry, that we can be. God is nothing like that. God is holy. God is separate. God is sacred, set apart. Psalm 103, verse 20, it says, Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice 
of his word. 2 Samuel 7, 26 says, And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts. And this, this, this uh, title, Lord of hosts, is mighty, magnificent, awe-inspiring God. Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. So he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, you're holy. And thank God he's holy. Thank God he's set apart. Thank God he's the creator of the universe that doesn't need, God doesn't need anything to sustain. He sustains himself. And because of that, because of that, God can do so much good for us because we, he doesn't need anything from us. God didn't, against popular belief by the outside world, God did not create us because God was lonely. God didn't need anything from us. God didn't create us just because He needed something to love on. God needs of nothing. God is self-existent within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's got everything. He is everything with, within Himself and of Himself. And because of that, when God gives to us, He gives freely. And it helps the expression of His grace seem even more free. Because He doesn't owe us anything and there's nothing that we can do to earn it. But He gives of it. He's self-existent. And so if He gives, He gives because He wants to give. Not because He has to give to feel complete. Not because He, he needs to give to feel like He's done something or he, like He can check something off His to-do list like we have to do. No, God just gives. You know, there's, another, there's no other religion in the world that calls their deity Father. Because their relationship to their deity is not the same as ours. Every other religion in the world is working their way to their deity. Our deity worked his way to us. Came in the flesh. Bore our sin and shame. And died on the cross for us. Our holy, sacred deity, God, came to us. But he's holy. And that's a beautiful thing. And then he continues on in verse 10. What does he say? Jesus instructs them, talking about God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Listen, by nature, by nature, our, we are concerned for our own name, right? We're concerned by, for our own name, our own reputation. I mean, and, and some of this is natural. I mean, we would do this with our kids, right? We'd be like, hey, don't go act a fool. Like, do right by your namesake, right? Like, don't, don't embarrass my name. Like, because what you do is going to reflect on me. So we do this with our kids, right? What are we telling them to do? Don't be concerned so much about just one part of your name. Not just the first name that's individualized to you, but be concerned for your namesake. And so when Jesus is instructing on this, he's, he's trying to help them resist the desire to promote themselves, but to constantly be in this mindset where they're promoting Him, promoting God, promoting His will, His kingdom, His desires. And so we can think to ourselves sometimes, well, why do we pray this? Isn't God more than able to accomplish His will without our approval? When we're worshiping in this manner, praying in this manner, does God need us to pray this way to give approval? And the answer is absolutely not. This, this acknowledgement, what it does is it brings us into participation. When we pray in this way, 
When we come into this place and we sing songs in this way, with this mindset, we engage with the world around us in this way, your, your kingdom come, God. Your will be done. What are we doing? We're lining ourselves up with God's will and telling our actions, telling our thoughts, telling our emotions whose will we want to be made known, whose will we want to live for. Listen, and this is, this is something that we have to engage with daily because every morning we wake up, we are the first person on our mind, right? We are what we want to preserve. We are who we want to take care of. And so as we navigate the the day-to-day of our Christian life, this has to be a common regular practice within our lives that we're saying, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. And what this does is when we begin to line ourselves up with this mindset, it begins to make us a conduit of his kingdom. That we can begin to be our actions, our emotions, our mindsets can begin to be used to be participators of his work and his good deeds so that we can make his kingdom known and be a part of what he's invited us to do. And so also when we're saying your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done, what are we doing also? We're stepping into a place of submission. We're moving ourselves into a place of submission to the authority of God and His purpose and His plans and His glory. When we say, God, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. God, let it be here as You want it. As You intend. So it's us lining ourselves up with the kingdom of God and submitting ourselves into participation with our actions, thoughts, and emotions. And then he continues on in verse 11. And he says, Give us this day our daily bread. And so the first three parts talked about who God is and how we engage with God. These last three parts talk about three needs that we have. And I love that. I love how Jesus, like I said in the beginning, I love how Jesus presented this. He presented it. He didn't start with the needs first, right? He didn't start with, well, look, you need to do this. You need to be this. You need to say this, 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 this. What does he say? He says, engage with our Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Lining us up with the mindset of God and what God has for his people first. And then what does he do? He says, these are three needs that you have. We've already established where you can get those needs from. Your Father in heaven, who is set apart and holy, different than you, has what you can't have. That we would want his kingdom come and done. And what does he say? In verse 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread. So the first need he acknowledges is provision. The first need that he invites us to acknowledge in our prayer and in our worship is provision. So when we talk about daily needs, what are we, daily bread, what are we talking about? Everything necessary to sustain life. When he says daily bread, he's not specifically talking about bread per se. But he's speaking of everything necessary to sustain our life. And so when I read that, I don't only read that physically, but there's other ways that our lives are sustained, not just by food provision, right? And so he's trying to bring us into this mindset where we can know that God is concerned for us, 
That God is, is aware of the needs that we have to sustain the life that we need to live to do His will and to do His glory. And so He says, give us this day our daily bread, speaking of provision. And then I love how He says, give us this day. He's focusing on today, right? He says, don't get, don't get ahead of yourself. You know, I, I say this to myself, I say this to my family all the time and, and other people I've had conversations with. You know, it's like we can miss, we can miss so much. We can miss so much about today worried about tomorrow, right? We can miss out on so much about what today has given us by worrying about what may be at tomorrow. And Jesus regularly brings his people to this mindset where he's like, hey, Worry about today, right? Later on in Matthew chapter 6, we'll read it. Be anxious for today because today's got its own things, right? Don't worry about tomorrow. And why is he telling us not to worry about tomorrow? He says to, to give us this day our daily bread. He's really referencing a, a moment in Exodus chapter 16 when the children of Israel are in the wilderness and they're hungry. And they're, they're thinking to themselves, we were better off in Egypt. Like we had all the meat and all the stuff that we could ever ask for. And what does Jesus do? He says, I'm going to give you manna. I'm going to give you bread. It's going to fall. It's going to, it's going to be on the ground. But what does he say? He says, only take enough for when? Only take enough for today. Only take enough for today. Don't store up any. Just get what you need for today. He says, I'm going to provide you with everything that you need for today. And he says, whatever's left is going to be gone. It's going to ruin and why did God tell them this? Why did God give this message to Moses to communicate to the people of Israel? Why? Because He wanted to teach them to trust Him for every day. Don't feel like you've got to, you've got to store up for yourself for tomorrow. He says, I'll be there tomorrow. I'll be there the next day. God's, God's trying to teach them, like, I'm not giving up on you. Even in this moment in Exodus 16 when they're complaining... God says, I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to supply you. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there in your greatest physical need. I'm going to be there in your greatest emotional need. I'm going to be there in every need that you have. He says, I'm going to be there. Give us this day our daily bread. Why did they do this? Because God promised to provide tomorrow too. He says, you don't need more than you need today. This is what gets us into trouble as people in our day-to-day -day walk when we try to supplement the needs of our lives with the things around us, right? We try to supplement the things in our lives with things, the needs in our life with things around us. And what ends up happening is we convince ourselves that we can provide the needs that we have more on our own than we can for God because we get it quicker, right? We get it in our time. It's like we have this timeline in our head and it's like I need to do this, 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 and this within this time frame. So I'm going to take it in my own hands because God isn't working, right? I mean, we, we, we do this all the time. We pray about jobs or we pray about situations and we pray and we ask God to show us something. But what typically happens is we end up taking steps on our own to, to put ourselves and not that God's going to give us some magical sign to do something or to do His will. But... There are times, a lot of times, 
When we begin to take situations in our own hands and we want to do these things on our own and we want to provide in a way that we think we need to provide for. You know, this happens a lot in relationships as I navigate conversations with with men who are who are working. You know, they think to themselves, well, I need to provide more money. I need to do more. And so what ends up happening, they take it into themselves. I'm just going to work, 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 work. And so you make all this money and you have all this to give and you have all this to do. But you're never with the people that God has given you to spend it with, right? We'll miss out on what we have today because we're worried about tomorrow. God's going to provide. And listen, it may not be the provision that we think we need, right? I mean, there were times they thought they needed more than bread. They're like, bro, we want meat. Like, we want, we want sustenance. Like, we want more. Jesus is like, the bread's what you need. Focus on what you need. Be content with what I've given you. And I'll, I'll continue to provide. I'll be it tomorrow. And maybe tomorrow will be better. But trust me for that. And so that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to bring them into this mindset. You know, and, and, and I love that. He's speaking of the daily needs. Because, and this should, should remind us, church, that God cares about everyday things. God does. God cares about everyday things. He cares about our everyday struggles. He cares about our everyday navigation of life as parents and husbands and wives and, and, and people in the workforce, like in, in the things that we want, the things that we need, the things that we do. Like God cares about those everyday things. So he invites us and encourages us. Pray, pray for our daily needs. Pray for our daily provision. And remember, I'm not just talking about money or food. I mean, there's emotional needs. Like there's all these needs that we have in our life. He says, ask me for those things. Pray for those things. And, and like we said, we're not catching God off guard by communicating something to Him. But what it is, is it's lining us and reminding us of this. That He gives us daily. He provides daily. He's with us daily. Proverbs 30, verse 8, He says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. I love David's prayer there. He says, God, give me the food, or Solomon's prayer, I'm sorry. Give me the food that is needful for me. I'm not asking for rich. I'm not asking for poor. God, just give me what I need. And he will. And what this does is it causes us to a humble dependence and a focus on today so that we don't miss what is, what is, like I said, what is by being worried about what might be tomorrow. And then he continues on in verse 12. What does he say? He presents our second need. He says, forgive us our debts. The second need is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And so when we talk about debts, what are we talking about? We're talking about sins. We're talking about our wrongdoing against the holy moral law of God an acknowledgement of our shortcomings and God's ability to help us remove ourselves out from under the weight of it. Church, until we recognize our forgive, need for forgiveness, and this is huge, because a lot of us, we, we don't like to live in the idea that we need forgiveness for anything. Or we live under the weight of those debts so heavily that we don't think we can ever come out from under it. Right? We don't think we can be forgiven. We're either not asking for forgiveness because we don't think we need it, or we're not asking for forgiveness because we don't think we deserve it. And so what does he tell us in that prayer, in this acknowledgement, in this moment of worship? He says, pray for forgiveness from our debts. Pray for forgiveness for your sins, the, the record that's being held against you. And he says, to bring us to this mindset, to help us know that he will, that he will forgive. 
that, that there's no sense for one. We have to understand that for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, God's standard. Like we've all fallen short. There's none righteous. No, not one. Not a single one of us is living a life that is good enough for the kingdom of God. But he's offered us a way. He says that God is faithful and just to forgive. So he's given us a way. His mercies are new every day. He gives us grace that is not because of our abilities, but because of our ability to believe and trust in Christ Jesus and his work on the cross for us. So he gives us the way at which to be forgiven. And he says, ask. So God, forgive us our debts. And so not only do we first need to understand that we need to be forgiven, but secondly, it's not about whether we deserve to be forgiven or not. But if we ask, God says he'll forgive. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you will do. He says, ask. Because what do we know about what Christ has done on the cross? Christ has taken the record of our debts. Colossians, right? Taken the the record of our debts and nailed it to the cross so that they have no more application to you. When you have put your faith in Christ, He takes the record of your debts. And that's not only past debts. That's not only present debts. But that's future debts. He says, He's taken the record of our debts and nailed it to the cross to be crucified with Jesus. That the record is dead. The record is done. The record is eradicated. So that when we live life, when we pray for God as a Christian, when you pray for Jesus to forgive you of your sins, when you ask God, God, forgive me of my sins, we're not asking Him to mark off something that's been rewritten. We're asking Him to help us to live out from under the weight of that debt. The debt's already been forgiven. But when we pray, Jesus, forgive me for this. God, please forgive me for this. It's not for God to unshackle the chains. The chains have already been unshackled. But it's to help us realize that we're standing in a prison of sin and debt, that the gate, the door is open. And so when we pray for forgiveness, it's us reminding ourselves, oh yeah, I can walk out of this. I don't have to live in this debt anymore. Jesus says, God's nailed it to the cross. And so when we pray to ourselves, Lord, forgive us of our debts. The debt's already been forgiven, but this is us lining ourselves up with the will of God to know and to understand. Oh yeah, thank you, Jesus, you've forgiven me. Now help me to live out from under that debt. That's what we're doing. And and I know that that's what he's doing because then he moves to this next section in, in, in verse 12. And he says, not only forgive our debts, but then he says, forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our who? Our debtors. Those who have sinned against us. So what does he do? He invites us not only to ask for forgiveness... But with that, the expectation is when you've experienced the forgiveness of God and you begin to live out from under the weight of those debts, it's not that we will. I like how he he says this. He says, we also have forgiven. We also have forgiven. That's letting us know right there, as Jesus is praying this prayer and teaching this manner of worship, he has forgiven. It's, it's, It's happening. It's active. as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then we know that He's also inviting us because of the last part of of this section in, in verses 14 and 15, that there is a weight 
that there is a weight of forgiveness and an expectation of forgiveness that is passed back to us. That our need isn't only to find forgiveness for ourselves, but also forgiving those who need to be forgiven by us. There are people in our lives that we need to forgive. Because if we don't forgive, then we'll never live out from under the weight of our own debts that need forgiveness. And we know that because when we read down here in verse 14, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And remember, we're not talking about being unshackled by the weight of our, our debts. But we're talking about an inability to live out from under the weight of our debts unless we can forgive. We'll, truly, we'll never truly know the forgiveness of God until we can forgive other people. And that's tough. Listen, trust is different. Trust is, is gained and broken depending on situations. But forgiveness is a command. He's commanded us to forgive. Why? Because it helps us to live out from under the weight of our own debt. Because if we don't think someone else is worth forgiving, we're never going to think we're worth forgiving. We're never going to believe that we have the freedom to live out from under the mistakes that we've made. So he tells us, listen, before you can truly live out from under the weight of your debts, Forgive those who have made debts against you. Forgive, forgive, forgive your debtors. And then he moves on to verse 13. As we jump back from 14 and 15. And he says this. The third need. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Need number three, church, is deliverance. Deliverance. Listen, on our own, we are on a crash, crash course for destruction. Destined to constantly collide with the, our own desires of the flesh. On our own, we are on a crash course to constantly collide with our own desires. With our own, our own, our own view of things. Our own hope of things. Our own, our own thought of need. And the thing we need to know about God is that God does not tempt us. But God will allow us to be subjected to trials and tests to reveal to us, number one, the nature of the enemy and his destruction. But number two, what God does as we navigate situations of testing and temptation is that when we depend on God and lean into God and trust in God, He uses this as we come out of the other end of it to build us up and to teach us to depend on Him and to, for rescue and deliverance. He does this in our own lives. You know, and we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says, Paul writes this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Listen, we are all navigating spaces of temptation. But the reason why Jesus is teaching this portion where we say, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one. Here in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he talks about, he says, Because God is faithful. If we need to be led away from the prisons of our own comforts, our own needs, our own flesh, whatever that might be, whether it's some uh, addiction, some uh, dependence, uh, some emotional reactions, whatever it might be. He says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So there's something as a child of God, there's an ability within us that isn't our own, but given to us from the Holy Spirit by your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That you may be able to endure it. God says, I'll, I'll give you what you need. He says, come to me. And so when we pray this prayer, God, lead us not into temptation. What we're doing is we're le leaning into God to allow him 
to show us the way, to empower us through our own temptations, our own issues, our own sin, the things that we constantly fall back to, the things that we constantly grab back a hold of in our life. He says, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God's the only one that can deliver. And that's our third need, is to deliver us. And so I say all this as we wrap up, and then we'll be done. Church, we need to understand that prayer is worship. That it molds us and it reveals and reminds us of who God is. And, and it's not a per- practice for the perfect. And that's why He starts our Father in Heaven. He starts by helping us see that it's not the religious hierarchy that has the most access to God in this matter of worship. But it's those who are His. Those who are, are part of His sonship and daughtership. Those who are a part of His family. He says... Those people come and they practice this manner of worship and He invites all of us into this beautiful discipline. And we know that we don't even have to know exactly how to worship or how to pray in this way. When Paul writes in Romans 8, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, we don't know how to worship. We don't know how to pray. It doesn't mean we can't be involved and it doesn't mean we can't participate. He says... Likewise, the Spirit helps us. God has given us a Spirit. He says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. But the groaning's too deep for words. He says, listen, you're not always going to know how you need to react or respond. You're not going to know how to come into this place sometimes. Like you're going to come into this place and, and come into worship and come into the teaching of God's Word and just be completely just spiritual bank, spiritually bankrupt and just not there spiritually, mentally. Like you're, you're not going to be focused. Like you're, gonna, you're not going to know how to say it, what, what to say, how to do it. But he says, listen, if you'll, if you'll lean into me, man, the Spirit of God will speak on your behalf. Like the Spirit of God will lead you. And, and you may not know it in the moment, but at the end of it, you'll be able to say, man, that, that's it. That's it. Because listen, what prayer and worship is, prayer and worship is not bargaining with God. It's not making demands of God, only asking God for things. Prayer is not therapeutic meditation exercises. It's not us bothering God or a way to control the Lord or a way to show off. But it's us acknowledging, leaning in when we pray these prayers. Our Father in heaven, holy, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also are forgiven our debts debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil this prayer and praying and worshiping in this mindset in this way it reveals to us it reveals to us the beauty of who god is you know and 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 i don't i don't know if y'all saw this i know i mean you post something on social media i assume you're okay with everybody knowing about it and i know talked to carrie and them about it last week but you know, I don't, if y'all know Carrie and Jeremy's little girl, Everly, she was having a, a vision issue where they come to find out through some testing and things that she was nearly blind, that, that her vision was so bad that pretty much everything and everybody just like, looked like blurry silhouettes. You know, and I can't even imagine that as a child to live and to navigate life in that way. And so what happened is, and I'm sure maybe you've seen it or heard, but they, they went and they got glasses for And Carrie yesterday posted this really awesome video of Everly putting on those glasses for the first time. And just her reaction was, was unbelievable. Like just, it was just so unbelievable. And the first thing out of her mouth on the video was just so sweet and so genuine. And she said, I can see everything. Right. Like that was just so awesome. Like she said, I can see everything like I I would have loved to have just 
been in her heart and mind in that moment to see the world differently than she ever had before. Even in the short span of life that she's lived in the last few, couple years or so. Like, she could see everything. See her parents. See her siblings. See the world differently than she ever had. Because of the intervention that her parents did, the, the medicine, all these things that, that, you know, that, that worked into that, the, the glasses. And so I say that to say this. Our prayer, whether it's this prayer specifically from a motivated, truly authentically motivated heart, or our own words that pray in this manner, or worship in this manner, its intentions are to open our eyes, to help us to see. You know, C.S. Lewis said this. I go back to him a lot because C.S. Lewis was an interesting guy. He spent the majority of his life hardcore atheist, and then came to a point way later on in his life, after he was highly educated, came to a point where he believed in God. And he said this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Listen, Christianity and our belief in God and understanding who God is and how God deals with his people and the needs that we have that only God can provide, it opens our eyes to the beauty of what God has given us. It helps us be better husbands and wives. It helps us be better fathers and mothers. It helps us be better children. It helps us be better workers. It helps us be uh, better members of society. It helps us be better friends. It helps open our eyes to everything that God truly has and intends for his people. And what I want us to know is that the world is, is, is at war against this posture. The, the world is at war against this understanding of prayer and worship as we engage with God this way. You know, when we talk about who God is as Holy Father, the world is going to tell you, number one, He doesn't care or He doesn't exist. Or we humanize Him to the level a low level to our level so much that it leaves him to seem powerless. You know, when we talk about his kingdom and his will, the world would tell us that life is about us and our happiness and our comfort. Like, you do you. You do what you want, right? You, you, you do what makes you happy. You know, when we talk about provision, we don't like to acknowledge that we have any needs. God says, the world would say, you have everything you need within you to do exactly what you need to do and to be exactly who you need to be. When we talk about forgiveness, like I said earlier, we think to ourselves, who needs, who needs to be? I don't have anything to be forgiven for. I, I'm, I'm living my truth. I'm doing my thing. This is how I live. This is what I want. This is what makes me happy. I don't need forgiveness from anybody. I don't need anybody's approval, right? Or then deliverance. You know, why would anyone believe that they need deliverance from something that feels good or makes them happy? Why is it wrong? If I'm happy and it makes me feel good, why is it wrong? You know, and that's why God is constantly bringing us back to these places where we need to understand, number one, that we have provisional needs that the world can only give so much of. That there is a forgiveness that we need to be praying for, that we need to seek God for not only because of our own sin and our own shame, but because we'll never truly live in freedom and engage in relationships around us until we experience that forgiveness and can begin to walk in freedom. 
And not only that, but then the last thing, true deliverance. To stop feeling so shackled by our own flesh. Listen, and everybody in this room right now has different things that your flesh draws you to. Like, not everybody, not everybody has dependence issues. Not everybody has sexual sin issues. Not everybody has anger issues. Not everybody has the same issues. But every single one of us in this room has something that our flesh draws us to. Something that draws us away from God. Something that creates altars of idols to worship. That ultimately points back to us and our own happiness and comfort and provision. And we can't ever allow ourselves to get to these places separate from this prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy, sacred. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Let it be what you want. Let it be how you, how you want it to be. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us of our debts. You know, acknowledging these things, acknowledging our needs, acknowledging the things only God can do and only God will do in our life. And so what I, what I hope that we can do this morning as we worship is, is can, we, can we acknowledge that on a personal level? You know, as you pray this prayer, I really want to encourage you to take some time as we sing. And, and I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to yourself. Think it through. Think through every aspect of it, every, every portion, every line of it. Read it in your Bible. Open it up on your phone. Look at it as we sing, as we pray. I don't care if you sing a single word with us. If you do, you do. If you don't, if you just take a moment. Maybe you take a moment where you're at. Maybe you take a moment behind the curtain and get, be a little more private. Whatever you need this morning. I pray that you would seek how is your relationship with the Holy God if you're a Christian this morning. Do you see God in these ways and are you asking God for these things? And then seek Him. He says, I'm here. He says, come. He says, come engage with me. Come seek me. Come see me. And I'll be these things for you. I'll provide this for you in this way. So could you stand with us this morning? And as, as I, I'm going to pray for us and as we enter into this moment and this time and worship God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we just thank you so much. God, that as we navigate these spaces, Lord, that we would know and be reminded of your beauty, of your glory, of your goodness. God, let us, let us remember. God, let us remember all that you do for us, all that you provide for us. God, as, as we're constantly grasping, Lord, as we're constantly grasping for the provision we think we need, God, as we're constantly grasping at what the world can give us to help us feel satisfied and sustained. God, as we're constantly grasping, trying to make our way, Lord, let us, let us be reminded of everything that we need we can find in you. The fatherly love we desperately need. God, the, the guidance through our own sin, the provision of day to day, the encouragement, God, the courage, the strength that we need to carry on. The, the relationships that we need. God, all that we find, God, we find in you, Lord. And I pray that you would help us just to see that this morning in a mighty, mighty way. God, we just love you. God, we thank you so much, Lord. We just ask you to speak to us in this moment. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.